Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, welcome back to The Good Life. I'm talking to Matt Moore. Matt's a, 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 he's a, a southern gentleman. He's a, a, a foodie, part excellent, a chef, an author of great books. He's a pilot. We have a lot in common. Like I said, we married good, and, uh, and we like The Good Life. And this new book, Butcher on the Block, has uh, just come out. You'll be able to get one here uh, uh, certainly by the end of the week here in May, the uh, first week in May. And more importantly, you can probably pre-order on Amazon. And you'll want to do that. Matt, uh, before we kind of look at some of the other sections of the book, still in that first section, you talk a little bit about dry aging at home. Could you talk briefly just about what wet aging is, how we might consider exploring technique and and equipment to dry age at home? Yeah. You know, um, wet aging is a process um, typically after production where we, we see these Typically, larger portions, so so quarters or, or larger pieces, um, are, are put into bags and 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 aged in in the refrigeration process. Um, the the advantage there is is commercial production because there's really no loss of of mass or weight um, due to the fact that you're you're keeping that moisture in. So I would say that's more of a commercial um, response to being able to. Uh, age meats for periods of time safely um, that you're picking up from probably more of your supermarket stores. Yeah. I think the real fine art comes into the the dry aging process, you know, actually drying at the right temperatures um, and, and developing that just beautifully rich, nuanced flavor uh, that beef is known to have. The problem with dry aging, of course, is that you're losing mass. And so whatever you start with every single day continues to to, to shrink and become uh, less of a product that's something that can be sold per pound. And so you do see a lot of folks making, you know, shortcuts either through the, the wet aging process, but I would say your specialty butchers are those places where typically you're finding selections um, that have been aged um, 10, 15, up to 75 to 90 or 100 days. And, of course, you're going to pay a premium because you've gone through that process where they're constantly monitoring, you know, the temperature and the environment and the air uh, but it does just produce some some unbelievably rich, beautiful flavors. And, you know, in today's world, 
Um, you don't have to have a salt room or a, a walk-in to be able to do some of this at home. Uh, there are certain techniques without going into to too great a detail, uh, but leveraging some of the modern technology of, of dry aging bags and, and using your refrigerator to produce you know, quality results. Um, I would still speak to the results that you're going to get from, from your local butcher or those folks that have really perfected that dry aging process, but it is something using the proper uh, bags, and I'm not talking about Ziploc bags, we're talking about the, the bags that are specific for dry aging. And I always tell folks that you want to make sure that you're dry aging a larger cut because you are going to lose uh, portions of that. So a, a whole tenderloin might be a great thing for you to consider and to experiment on um, rather than just an individual fillet, which which might lose up to a third of its mass in a, in a 25 to 30 day process. Yeah. So it is something that we wanted to cover. You know, I think it's interesting. Some people have never had a really well-aged prime cut of, of beef of any type. And, and when they do, it's somewhat different compared to that beautiful red meat that you got out of the, uh, the cool section on that styrofoam tray. It's just a different product. And I have fond memories. My dad honed a very fancy steak restaurant in Miami before steak, fancy steak restaurants were a thing. And he had a Beechwood aging walk-in with temperature and humidity control. And he, he'd hang halves, but more importantly, he had little cubby holes with uh, whole strip loins and whole tenderloins. And, and then some, he had even whole thick-cut steaks, you know, dry aging. And, and, and I always thought it was weird. Why are we letting this meat rot? It's not. It's not that at all, and it certainly pays dividends. So that's a good section of the book. I look forward to playing around with that. And they make machines. Uh, it almost looks like a, a wine cooler or a mini fridge that controls temperature mm-hmm. and humidity and, and time and keeps track of your your aging process so that you don't overdo it or underdo it, and uh, it's a safe way to do it. I think that's cool. Okay, so the best part of the book, I think, in my mind – is the people you got to talk to. And you're so good at doing that and traveling around and, and meeting folks. I, I imagine this would have been a challenge to decide who you're going to go talk to, you know, you, in the coordination and stuff to do that. Talk about the, is it RIM family, R-I-H-M? That's correct. Yeah. Man, they look like they have a great operation. Talk about that one. Yeah, you know, uh Sourcing the the people for the book is always kind of its own art, and it's a process that I enjoy. And um, there are some things that just certainly come naturally. Um, and I would say the Rim family was one of those uh, that I had a, a good friend of mine here that lives in Nashville, Tennessee, which is my home. Um, his name is Clay Hassler. He's a filmmaker here. And for many, many years, just with my interest in, in all things barbecue and grilling, he had always talked about headed up to, to, to Cambridge City, Indiana, which is outside of Indianapolis, and, and meeting his uncle, uh, Uncle Jerry. Um, and so when I set out to write this book, that was really one of the first people that I wanted to to come across. And it's just a, a multiple generation of, of butchers that come from Germany and, and have settled in, in that part of uh, you know, kind of the, the beautiful state of Indiana. And they're doing the whole processing operation, which was really a fantastic place to be. It wasn't just a, a butcher shop, but it was it was starting with the the processing and and breaking down to, you know, whole sides and 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 that entire process from making hot dogs to um, steaks to charcuterie and everything in between. 
Um, and just being able to pick up on that multi-generational story uh, of just catching at the, the time of maybe retirement for, for Uncle Jerry and, and pushing down to his sons, uh, Joseph and, and Gus. To me, that's just a beautiful thing about writing books is we live in this digital world, but in the book world, we get to really put a stamp on time. And that felt really special to be there, um, kind of at this this changing of the guard of there's a lot of tradition, there's a lot of responsibility, um, and they're in great hands. And one of the things I really love about that family story is that um, you don't inherit the business, you, you actually have to buy into it. And so the younger generation is actually investing not only their time, but also the capital um, to be able to take over that organization. So you know, nothing is inherited, it has to be earned. And I think that's some of the work ethic that you'll find in every butcher. Yeah, I love it. And then, okay, that happens to be the first chapter of the butchers that you spoke to. And, and there's some great recipes, the steak tips, uh, Worcestershire, uh, such an easy thing to do and a different way to fix high-quality meat than most people are used to doing. And, and, and one of the fun recipes that came from some of the butchers. And then the next chapter. Um, I, I had a guy on recently, and we talked about seasonings and and I use a lot of Asian seasonings or Asian-influenced seasonings. And here you go. You talk to Simon and Eric at, at Hing Lung Company. This had to be a treat. And, and the, the recipes and some of the things that you put in the book. Uh, I love the picture with what looks like duck and, and goose hanging, uh, something that you'll see if you go to Chinatown and see a butcher shop. And then the sausages curing out in the air. Uh, this had to be a treat. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the beauty that I've been able to, to come across, both really with Cereal Griller and, and Butcher on the Block, is that there's a there's a butcher in every cuisine, right? So uh, being able to, to travel to San Francisco and Chinatown, one of my favorite places in the entire country, we're so fortunate that you get to have this international experience um, still right here on American soil. And again, another great story of, of two brothers that took over the, the butcher shop of their father but they're bringing it into kind of the modern world. They have to be respectful of the traditions. I remember Eric, who's kind of built like a linebacker, telling me about, you know, the technique that he has to use on those ducks because the, the grandmothers are expecting um, a certain way of doing things. But at the same time, a uh, guy, you would love it. I mean, they're taking a 180-pound hog, um, you know, uh, dressed, and then they're basically deboning the entire hog. So, just a lot of work on the butchering standpoint. And then instead of a, an offset smoker, they've got a vertical smoker uh, that comes from Hong Kong. It's pressurized. And they're cooking these hogs that you and I in the barbecue world would typically be talking about 14 to 18 hours. Um, they're hanging them vertically and cooking them in about 90 minutes really? uh, and just getting a completely different result. Yeah, I mean, the skin is just uh, flavored and deeply nuanced and, and super tender and juicy. Um, the meat portion, and then, of course, you get that just crispy, crunchy skin. And those are coming out multiple times a day, and that's when you see the lion that's snarling down Stockton and Broadway. Um, it is one of those stops that people are that's, – that's part of their day is going to pick up uh, that whole roasted hog. So for me, it's super important to, to showcase um, the different techniques and different styles, and, and they may not be uh, some things that I've seen in, in all of my travels and experience, but – Man, when it works, it works, and it was absolutely delicious. I bet. You know, the, the pictures, of course, uh, not only of the family members and, and the storefronts, but the pictures with the recipes. The One of the recipes from 
these boys was the grilled honey barbecue chicken wings with ginger sauce. And then they got a, <laughs> yeah. a rib section. A gri- again, grilled honey barbecue ribs. My wife says she doesn't like sweet on savory food. Mm. I sneak it in all the time because you and I both know you get that beautiful caramelization and crust and ah, what fun. Um, when you did this, uh, you know, I look at uh, several of the sections and I see all these different locations that you went to. Uh, man, how did you how did you decide, you know, who to talk to when you if you just look at well, like how'd you find Tommy Kelly? Is Tommy's that, the the gentleman I was speaking to. That's in my local um, local yeah. grocery store, and that's so I, I wanted not only to uh, to represent the boutique shops and and the chefs and the restaurateurs, but but also the mass supermarket. And uh, there's a funny story in there. My my daughter Vivian. Um, you know, when she was very young, several years ago, she's, she's seven now and it's coming like a freight train, how quickly it's passing. But I remember she said to me one day, that's my, my, my brother. Uh, she, she pointed at Mr. Tommy and and Tommy and I kind of looked at each other and, uh, we, we know biologically we're not brothers. Uh, and she kind of laughed and and said, no, he's your cooking brother. Um, and I think that's just kind of part of it. You know, we go through these daily routines usually a common fixture are folks that we're meeting at, at the markets. And it doesn't always have to be your butcher. It can be the folks that check you out too. And I just think it's a, it's an opportunity to build community, to strike up a friendship. Um, and quite frankly, I'd known Tommy in passing for many years, but this book provided an opportunity for me to to spend time with him, to cook with him. And uh, he has three daughters of his own and, and just share those commonalities, which I think are, are, are deeply important. Yeah. And you know, you, you did, diverge from just meat uh talk about you did a little seafood section here with jared auerbach yeah i wanted it to be a broadened cookbook um i want it to be a general cookbook right you know it's just the idea is that we started the butcher shop and the butcher shop can be many things beyond meat and game um to me i think it includes seafood and and it includes vegetables too Uh, we have cara mangini who's the first vegetable butcher in new york's famous italy um, we went to Boston. We met Jared. Uh, he was straight out of central casting, as you'd expect him. Uh, but what an incredible, incredible guy, an entrepreneur that um, has taken on this this idea of commercial fishing, where traditionally you've got these huge boats that go out in the water and you know they they catch their haul and they come back and some of the fish that might have been on those boats uh, six or seven days before it actually gets processed and. As an entrepreneur um, and as an avid fisherman, you know, Jared started to make his own markets and, and pursue the local fishermen. And, you know, they were kind of first at their time of being able to put a QR code um, that, hey, this is a this is a haddock uh, caught on the, the, the sea green boat off of, uh, you know, Massachusetts on this date and this time. And so he's producing better quality fish. He's also, I think, created a mission with, you know, the likes of the Harvard Dining schools that instead of planning your menu six months in advance, let's plan it a few days and let me source you, um, you know, skate and different types of fish that you may not be cooking at a better price. that's more sustainable. Um, and I think he just takes care of his people at the end of the day. He's got just a vivacious personality um, running kind of his own empire and, and taking on an industry that's been pretty static for, for centuries, quite honestly. Uh, well, I, I love the idea of knowing where your fish came from and goodness knows in the restaurant business, sometimes I wonder even if they know if the fish they're getting is really 
what they're advertising, you know, and uh, that, that, that's cool. Um, well, it had to be so much fun to meet everybody, and I, I look ahead. I, we, it intrigues me. Let's talk a little bit about the vegetable butcher. Yeah, so um, I had met Kara um, Mangini from actually my book agent. So Kara's an author herself and, and put out a book uh, four or five years ago called The Vegetable Butcher. And, and I always honestly loved the title. Um, and when I went out to, to write this book, primarily just trying to seek a way to kind of blend together the world that I had just come from, barbecue and grilling, and, and of course, having an opportunity to speak to my own family experience. Um, that was one of the people that in the back of my mind, I said, you know, that would be such a great addition to this diverse cast of, of people that I want to go out and portray when you look at butchering today. And so um, kind of a chef restaurateur, but as I mentioned earlier, um, went to culinary school um, after just kind of not having the excitement or the experience from the corporate world. And she was one of the first vegetable butchers um, on, on the ground in Italy. And if you think about it, you know, it's a little bit tongue in cheek when you use the term, but a lot of us don't know how to break down vegetables properly. And her job was to do that uh, with vegetables in the same way that we expect for someone to, to go uh, cut a whole chicken into eights. Yeah. And so we, we had the opportunity to meet her. Um, she had a, a restaurant in Ohio, but was spending some time um, and her family roots also in San Francisco. Um, so we actually double dipped, not really planning to um, during the, the book venture, but we were able to make it back out um, and spend some time in her backyard and learn about her philosophy and um, no shortcut on flavors. Uh, That's the big thing. You know, I think a lot of the butchers, um, like the folks from Porter Road, he said, you know, I'm a butcher and I'm even telling you to eat less meat. Um, so being able to showcase uh, some of that and the flavors that come together in some of those techniques, I think it's just a really nice, meaningful section um, in, in the work that, that provides that diversity that I'm seeking. Well, and I look at some of her recipes and man, well, folks, you're going to need a copy of this book. We'll give away a copy here, but not, uh, yeah, let's do it now. Uh, Matt, can you stay for one more quick segment? Absolutely. Okay. We'll take a quick break. Call now. The number is 316-869-1330. Caller number five gets a copy of Matt's new book. Wait till you see this thing. Uh, you know, you may not appreciate the name right off the bat, and you think, why do I need to uh, read a book that says Butcher on the Block? Well, because it's got recipes and stories, and the pictures and the recipes will fire you up, and maybe you'll go meet your own local butcher. Go down to Sig's in Derby. Tell them Good Life Guys sent you. We'll be back with Matt Moore and a brief segment about what Matt's got in the works and what we can expect in the near future. Don't go away. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey.